Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. How is everyone today? I hope you're doing great. It's Tuesday, October 25th, the year 2022. We get closer and closer to Halloween, and we've got a busy, busy show planned for you and for yours with a lot of football talk, some baseball talk, some basketball talk. We've got it all coming your way. My main man, James Mesh, back in the Master Control Suite in the game studio, spinning the tunes, pushing all the the multiple buttons that he must to make this show run smoothly and professionally. It's on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on 1041 in Lake Charles. We're streaming around the world, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, near a TV set, well, pop it on because we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. All right. Well, um, sources say that the Texas have more trouble in Texas A&M land. Um, three Three is the number. Mired in a three-game losing streak. Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher has indefinitely suspended three players, all true freshmen, for violating team rules. The suspended players are defensive back Denver Harris, receiver Chris Marshall, offensive lineman P.J. Williams. This is the second time this season that A&M has handed down suspensions to members of that supposed the greatest recruiting class in the history of recruiting classes ever. Aggies are three and four this season after starting the season ranked number six in the AP preseason poll with their um, biggest uh, shocker losing to App State 17 to 14 at home in week two. So then they beat Miami. They beat Arkansas. Then they lost their next three to Mississippi State, Alabama, and South Carolina. So stay tuned for that. Meanwhile, if I had told you that LSU football, after the first week, look out Alabama because the Tigers are coming and they control their own destiny in the SEC West. I'd have said I am absolutely Looney Tunes. But they found themselves a quarterback. Brian Kelly talked about the latest performance that Jaden Daniels had Saturday against the Ole Miss Rebels. You know, the quarterback was 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 excellent again uh, back-to-back weeks leading the offense he was the catalyst for us making quick decisions um, he was assertive aggressive um, ran the ball the offensive line was outstanding uh, as you know really put the game away at the end and we got stronger I mean we exerted our will against our opponent which is part of what we're building here is that we want a you know, a dominant mindset amongst our group that, you know, come the second half, um, 
we want to be able to run the ball effectively um, and, and control our opponent uh, and move him against his will, and I thought we did that. So great victory. Um, excited for our guys. we got some time off, which we need, and um, we'll get a chance to um, get on the road recruiting and um, get ready for our next opponent and um, give these guys a little time off. Yeah, the Tigers were unpolished in a season-opening loss to Florida State. They bounced back. They got popped in the mouth by the Tennessee Volunteers. They bounced back. They fell behind by 14 points to Lane Kiffin's high-octane Ole Miss Rebel offense. They bounced back. They bounced straight into first place in the SEC West. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk that the Raging Cajuns offense would kick into such an exceptionally high gear? I'm not knocking Chandler Fields. Please, Mrs. Fields, his mom, don't, don't, please, no. Like the kid, I really do. But one man's misfortune is another man's fortune. That's life. That's the way it goes. And Ben Wooleridge has been the recipient of the fortune, and the fortune belongs to the Raging Cajuns because of him. Ben Willeridge, after his performance against Arkansas State, was asked if his head was spinning after back-to-back wins and his five touchdown passes against the Red Wolves. I don't think my head's spinning. I think it's just doing my job for the team. Obviously, there's definitely some plays out there that I can do better on um, just off the top of my head, but I think our receivers played great tonight. O-line did an incredible job, and our backs did an a very good job. Um, Arc State had a complex defense. They kind of disguised their looks pretty well. So going into it, um, we know that we were going to get some pressure on um, first and second down, and then third down they had a complex three-three-five uh, third and long package that we kind of had a really good plan for. But yeah, it was just kind of doing my job for the team, just doing my one eleventh, and I think that's what it comes down to. He has been sensational. After getting a weekend to spend with family away from the game, New Orleans Saints linebacker Demario Davis walked up to a lectern at the team's practice facility and fielded a question about the defense's concern over the number of missed tackles that they've had. Well, the veteran linebacker, turns out, had a lot to say, and none of it is specifically addressed to the missed tackles. He went on a five-minute diatribe, and he talked about this turnaround that needs to happen. We know that a turnaround has to happen. We believe a turnaround is going to happen, and that turnaround begins and ends with us. And the way that we go about getting there is in our work, and that's what we're committed to. There's not the thing I'm excited is there's not a there's not a harder working group or um, a more to determined group that's locked in on on figuring out and doing everything that needs to be done to get this thing turned around. That begins with our coaches. Our coaches are going to thumb through and figure out what is the best way to put us in the best position for our players to be successful. That's what they've always done. They've always found a way to get the best out of us. That when we, when we turn on the tape, uh, one of our big sayings here is not what we play, it's how we play. And they've always found a way to put us in a situation where we play violent and fast and physical. All right. They say, they say to a man they have to get their swagger back. 
I don't know how you get your swagger back, but if they can figure that out, please get your swagger out. Well, the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic, one of the great, great, great NBA players, are in New Orleans to take on the New Orleans Pelicans tonight at the Smoothie King Center, 6.30 tip. Well, Brandon Ingram is going to miss as he continues to go through concussion protocols, but the news gets even worse as both Zion Williamson and Herb Jones have been ruled out for the game tonight. Zion um, is unavailable against the Mavericks because of a lower back contusion and soreness in his right hip. Herb Jones, the best defender on the club, is trying to work his way back onto the court after suffering a hyperextension of his right knee on a drive to the basket for a lay-in, and you saw it happening. So um, the Pels at 2-1, and one, their second home game of the early season, um, and Dallas, because of the, that firepower that's missing, is a six-point favorite over um, the Pelicans. So we'll see. You know, you, you, C.J. McCollum is capable of scoring 30 points. We saw in game number two of the season on the road, Jonas Valanciunas got 33 points. So we'll see. Nobody expected the Jazz to beat the Pels at home, uh, but they did. I think everybody thinks that Luka and uh, the Mavericks will win this thing, but you never know. But Luka is, is worth the price of admission. No question, no doubt about that. Um one of Kim Mulkey's stars when she was at uh, coaching at the University of Baylor, Brittany Griner. Um, well, today, not some good news for Brittany. A Moscow court rejected her appeal of her nine-year sentence on drug charges today. Um, and this was completely uh, anticipated. Uh, so now, U.S., th that, this ends the legal aspect of it, the court aspect of it. Um U.S. officials have said they believe Russia will eventually send Griner home in a prisoner swap, but have expressed frustration over what they say is Russia's failure to respond to the significant offer the United States made in June. So we shall see. Um, who'd have thunk it last night in the NFL that the lowly Cleveland, uh, Chicago Bears would go into Foxborough and beat the New England Patriots. Well, beat the Patriots, they did. <laughs> hard to believe, hard to figure, but they did, and Justin Fields was was terrific, was terrific. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts have benched Matt Ryan as their starter, the former Atlanta Falcon. They just can't generate any, any offense whatsoever. He's, he's just not mobile enough. He can't get around. The offensive line's not very good, so... The Longhorns are back. Texas is back. He said it. Sam Ellinger uh, will be the starting quarterback the rest of the way and for Sunday's game against the Washington Commanders. Now, certainly didn't help that Matt Ryan sustained a grade two shoulder separation against the Tennessee Titans, but Coach Frank Reich said that this was in the plans and this is what we're going to do. And we're going to move forward from here. So the 37-year-old Matt Ryan going to the bench for the first time in his NFL career. Who'd have thought at this time of the year we'd be talking about, man, what's wrong with 
Aaron Rodgers. Man, what's wrong with the GOAT over there at Tampa Bay? Tom Brady. Uh, what's wrong with Matt Ryan? Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. And I'm convinced more so than ever in my life, if you don't have a quarterback that's mobile in today's game that can get out of the pocket and pick up first downs with his legs and is not afraid to run the football when when needed, I don't know how you win in this league. The days of the guy sitting in the pocket and waiting and waiting, uh, man, and doing that time after time after time after time, I just don't know. Uh, I, I don't know how you win. I don't know how you win. Um, and they're having trouble. Um, and you see these other teams with these mobile quarterbacks, like Daniel Jones of the New York Giants. He's not a great quarterback, but he's a darn good one. Right, and you you see all these quarterbacks, and you see what Jaden Daniels doing at LSU, and um, and uh, the quarterback at Tennessee, and and Bryce Young at, at at Alabama, and all these quarterbacks, and Stroud at Ohio State. These that's why those teams are winning because these quarterbacks can make plays, man. They make plays. So um, anyway, anyway, that's uh, that's what we got going on today. Let me tell you our guest list. Matthew Bruni will join us here. In just a minute, we'll talk about these LSU Tigers who, right there at the top of the SEC West, controlling their own course uh, with Alabama coming to town a week from Saturday, 6 o'clock kickoff, Tiger Stadium. Wow, wow. Another showdown with the Crimson Tide. Blake Topmeyer of uh, uh, the USA Today covering the Southeastern Conference. We've got the cocktail party, Florida and Georgia. We have got Kentucky at Tennessee, Ole Miss at A&M. Um, some interesting games to talk about as LSU and Alabama take the weekend off. So we'll talk to Blake. And then in hour number two, Bob Rose of the Saints News Network will join us. We'll hear from um, uh, Coach Dez of the Raging Cajuns. We'll hear more from Ben Woolridge and others along the way. So that's what we have in store for you and yours today. Let me tell you this. This much um, as, you know, we're the station that keeps giving and giving and giving and informing you of some really, really cool things. Like if you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever, all you have to do is text Panther to 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard. On November the 10th, once again, text PANTHER, P-A-N-T-H-E-R, to 337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, brought to you by the game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. First time out of the day. When we come back, we're talking Tigers. Matthew Bruni, next here on the Jordy Heltberg Show. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home. For those LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh my goodness, the LSU Tigers are on a roll there's no question about that. Number 18 in the AP poll, up nine spots after their convincing 45-20 win over Ole Miss. Number 20 in the coaches poll, 
They are four and one in the SEC, tied atop the leaderboard with the Alabama Crimson Tide, who are coming to Tiger Stadium a week from Saturday at 6 p.m. Matthew Bruni, Bengal Tiger on 3.com. If I had told you that a month ago, would you have committed me to some couch and try to um, lecture me and counsel me? I don't think I would have been that harsh, but it definitely uh, didn't seem like a possibility. So, uh, yeah, I might have called some people and been like, hey, we, we, need, a, we need a check on old Jordy over there. Yeah. Might, might be time <laughs> to pull the plug. <laughs> well, Matthew, thank you for your time as always. Love talking with you. Uh, Jaden Daniels is the story. How do you think – I mean, look, I know that Brian Kelly is there, Sloan is there, Denbrock is there. Um, Jaden Daniels is there. Who do you think is the is the main guy? Who who's the guy that's really transformed this kid? Because he's a different quarterback, man. He's really, really good. Not to say that he was bad, but I mean, he's really, really good now. Yeah, uh, it's. I, I do want to give some credit to you. Mentioned Joe Sloan, the quarterbacks coach. Obviously, isn't talked about a lot because we don't talk about. Position right. position coaches and a lot of the you know average fan doesn't know position coaches, but I mean to have Joe Sloan as your quarterback coach. I'm mean, not only is he great recruiter, but uh, which we'll we'll see in future classes. But I mean he's done a tremendous job. I watched him over the fall camp. I watched him over summer just and how he approaches coaching and how he you know teaches guys with footwork and everything like that. And we talked to him um, at some point. He said. Footwork. Him and Denver both said the footwork of Jaden Daniels was what they were working on, and so right. it's been a collective effort. But um, I think you're starting to see all of it come together. I, I want to give Brian Kelly credit, obviously, uh, right. but I think Joe Sloan is as his position coach, and Brian Kelly's been on, on all those meetings. Uh, you got to start with with those guys, and Denver is starting to call games a lot better. I think to to his team's strengths, and yes. uh, with that being the case, I. I I think it's just allowed Jane Daniels to be really comfortable and allow him to be a lot more aggressive. I mean, you study this. Have they simplified things down? Have they, have they marginalized the, the number of plays that they run? What, what's happened here? Yeah, I, I think the, well, for the Ole Miss game specifically, I didn't really understand what Ole Miss defense was doing. It felt like they were giving them a lot of those easy zone uh, throws that Jaden's able to, was able to make, as you saw in the, the hitch routes, um, the out mm-hmm. routes, just where it wasn't man to man, forcing him to make the tough throws. I thought that the, the offense did a great job at calling a game to expose Ole Miss's secondary and their soft fronts, and so I, I thought they were, the balance that they're able to keep is is huge, and I think they've done that over the past two games really, really well. Just. And then, obviously, the Tennessee game, it's hard to analyze because they got down so quickly that right. Brian Kelly, after the game, was like, you know, we, could, we had to just kind of just start throwing it around and hoping that we could, we could come back. So it's been a work in progress the whole year, but they're definitely starting to, like I said, I think playing to their strengths is huge, but I also mm-hmm. want to give credit to the offensive line for, I think, playing perhaps its best game of the year last, uh, last week against Ole Miss. Um, so no doubt. It, it feels like it's all just coming together and they're figuring out how exactly their strengths match the offense. Yeah, you got to give these coaches credit. You got to give the kids credit. Those bookend offensive linemen, freshmen, um, the freshman tight end, Taylor. Um, yep. And, you know, we, we'll, we'll get to the defensive side of things down the road. But 
Uh, I guess we got to listen to Brian Kelly. He said this 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 Taylor kid's going to be great, uh, and turns out he looks pretty good so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he said he compared him to Brock Bowers, which I I, I still don't put him near near that no, level. But that's okay. No. We don't. He doesn't yeah. have to be Brock Bowers to be efficient and to be explosive at times. He had both catches that he had. This week were very impressive. He had a 38-yard catch and run down the sideline, and then the touchdown reception. So, um, if you just get that out of him, and not for nothing, I think his run blocking is getting better. I think I've said multiple times that yes, the run have. blocking for him has been a, a work in progress. But uh, on Jaden's touchdown run to the pylon, he got out there and threw a block, and so it, it's um, when you have all these freshmen playing uh, on the offense side of the ball, it's going to at times look worrisome, but. He has, uh, he's been one of the guys that I've been most impressed with as far as his development goes. And maybe Brian Kelly saw that, obviously, during the fall. But it's, it's taken some time for me to, to come around on, on that, on the lofty standards. Yeah. Um, but they, as you said, they're getting better, and they bounce back, man. They bounce, after a loss, they bounce back. After a huge loss to Tennessee, they got hit in the mouth, they bounce back. They fall behind in games. They bounce back. You don't see any panic in there. They they have a confidence in themselves. It's that's pretty good. We talked about the freshman on the offensive side. Uh, you wrote an article about Harold Perkins, um, and he's been terrific. But you said that there's uh, about six other true freshmen that are just waiting in the wings for the uh, on this defense to give them the opportunity to show what they could do. It tells me the future looks bright. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the biggest. It was actually a pretty, you know, small uh, class as far as freshmen go. It's only 15 true freshmen from that class, uh, right. for the 2022 class. So you only have seven defensive players uh, that are true freshmen, Harold Perkins being obviously the most dynamic. But I, I still look at the rest of those freshmen, and a lot of them were buried or are buried because of the threat of the transfers they brought in right at the cornerback right. spot you have a couple four-star guys that are really capable and then uh, demario tolan at linebacker actually got some snaps against ole miss uh in the heat of battle and looked pretty good so um i and quincy wiggins on the defensive line i think a lot of us expected him to be a contributor um it he came back from injury early in the year and never hasn't quite broken through but so we'll see what his uh status is moving forward but you know, I, I feel really good about where they're at, and I think you mentioned it—the the resilience, the adjustments that Matt House, Matt House, the defensive coordinator, has been able to make have been outstanding. I mean, to hold up that Ole Miss team to three points for basically three quarters is yeah, is amazing. And you know, Lane Kiffin even mentioned he said put that they put that number forty in there, and he's a game changer. He's a, he's different than anybody else on the field. What helped was, and I thought one of the keys to the game was LSU's ability to to slow down the Ole Miss running game. And then they started getting yeah. the lead, and they knew Ole Miss had to throw it. And when they knew that, then those those guys just put pinned their ears back and got after it. And that's when Perkins is at his best. Yeah, and they, they went to – they found a way to get Perkins on the field. There was a lot of – you know, everybody was, like, uh, was, was questioning why he wasn't on the field for the first two drives. And then they went to their package where they have him as kind of a – rover attacking linebacker and they have him and bj ojalari on the field and uh good luck trying to stop them but i also want to give credit to makai wingo on the inside oh, who um was fantastic i so you lose mason smith early, early in the year you're like okay makai wingo was good at missouri but how good can he really be and i get the answer is they're good enough to to really bother jackson dart in that Ole miss offense so when you have those guys coming at 
opposing quarterbacks, it's 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 a big difference. So, well, um, yeah, you're about to see the best in the business when Alabama comes to town with Bryce Young. Um, so I've got to believe, and, and you know, and Jameer Gibbs is is a terrific runner. Yeah. This is a whole different team in Alabama, despite their loss in some of the close games. Um, you know, they, they go to a hostile territory like Tiger Stadium promises to be, and they're used to that. They, they're that's every time they go on the road, that's what it's like. But Perkins has to play in this game, and he's got to be that guy that because he's the only guy that can catch a Bryce Young when he starts scrambling around there. <laughs> yeah, I, I made the point that I, I think I made the point on one of the podcasts was that it, you can't just have Perkins as a spy on there you need to get Bryce Young to the ground and that's yes. going to be the toughest thing is is it's great if you know per, Perkins been able to spy on and off but you're going to have to have him as just a full-time rusher because you have to get Young to the ground because if he extends the plays any more than what you know his first second third read you're going to have a tough time he I thought he was great in that Tennessee game that they lost I mean he's just a great great player so they don't have the dynamic receivers I don't think even though I think Burton is fine and JoJo Earl and guys like that. They have some fine players, but they don't have Devontae Smith out there or Jalen Waddle. So I, I'm interested. I'm Thank you know, God, got two huh? weeks to prepare for it, but it's it's gonna be interesting. I've always been I've always been the proponent of I hate that there's a bye week before the Alabama game because it's just too much of a build up and I think it's um, paralysis by analysis most of the time for this yep. year I, I'm on a different I'm on a different page I think it comes at a perfect time I think this team needs a break I know they're hot but I think they need to come back down a little bit this will give the coaches some time to unwind a little bit as well I know they're working hard but I welcome the bye week this year um Maybe I'm crazy, but I've I've always said, why is a Super Bowl on a Sunday? Make it on a Saturday so we can all enjoy it. And let's not ha- let's have the bye game after the Alabama game because we're always beat up and it's a letdown afterwards. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, everything you said makes sense. Uh, obviously, I haven't been in this uh, for a super long time, but for me, it's this year. I, I wanted them just to play Bama next week. I, yeah. I just think they're they're playing way too well at this point. But you know, you give Alabama and you give LSU both a week off uh, going into it, so at least you you know you'll get both teams at relatively full strength. Um, you know, LSU will go in as like two two touchdown underdog or so, and yeah, kind of see what they got. You know, you get to see you know, both teams at their best, so there's no real excuses. And this is not a, well, it's kind of a knock, but let me just tell you, I feel a lot better when I know that Nick Saban has that much time to prepare for a team, but, but so does Brian Kelly. I was worried about the two coaches prior to Brian Kelly and how they would handle this extra time and what would they do. And uh, so I feel a lot better, but that's why I feel a lot better about the bye week this year, because I think Brian Kelly will handle it and come up with a really good plan. Yeah, I, I think that that is the hope. We'll have to see it um, to believe it because this team just hasn't yeah. gotten off to good starts. It always feels like they are reacting to a degree. Yeah, that's but true. I I I do think I do think Brian Kelly is that level of coach, and they're going to be able to. And with the way the offense is playing right now, I think that they're going to be able to, to come out and and score the ball a, a decent amount. 
Yeah, they can't fall behind to Alabama like they did to Ole Miss. I'm sorry, you can't. No. It's it's kind of it's like playing Tennessee. It'll and you Tennessee. know one thing yep. about Alabama, even though Tennessee won, Alabama had a shot to win it at the end. Um, they're never going to give up. They're always going to be in it. You got to keep score. You can't settle for field goals against Alabama. You got to score touchdowns. So, uh, yep. man, the buildup's going to be unbelievable. Tiger Stadium. I don't know. How long you been covering the Tigers now? How many years? This is this this is year two. Oh, year you're gonna two. see the greatest crowd ever yeah. in your existence in Tiger State. You thought Tennessee was that ain't nothing to what you're about to see on November fifth, my friend. I promise you. Oh man, I look for, I look forward to it because everybody coming out of that Ole Miss game, the Ole Miss game was awesome to me, and everybody coming out of it like, oh, they they didn't it sell it out, they close. didn't have this and that. I'm like, man, that was. That was awesome to me. It it ain't even close, man. Darth Vader's coming back. I'm telling you, it's <laughs> going to be a whole nother level. But uh, but thank you, man. Good luck with all the stories you got to write leading up to it. And uh, keep up the great work at BengalTigerOnFree.com. Matthew Bruni, always look forward to talking to you, buddy. Thank you. Yep, thanks for having me again. Yep. You're the best. All right, the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or... 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or a $50 gift certificate to the Half Shell Oyster House or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. The cocktail party is this weekend. Hottie Toddy is at Troublesome College Station. And Kentucky can't possibly go into Knoxville and upset the Vols, can they? Blake Topmeyer joins us next to talk about that and more here on the Jordy Helper Show in the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series bound Houston Astros. They say shooters shoot. He's a man who shoots from the hip and a man who's hip when he shoots. And no one shoots more from the hip when it comes to sports talk than the Blonde Bomber. Back to more of the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 39 minutes after the hour, we welcome in, um, even though LSU and Alabama are off this weekend and November 5th has Georgia hosting Tennessee, LSU hosting Alabama, there's still some intriguing games on the SEC slate for week nine. And Blake Topmeyer, who covers the SEC for the USA Today Network, is kind enough to join us. Hello, Blake. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you, Jordy? I'm good. Before we get to this week, how about them Tigers? If I had said about a month ago, LSU, Alabama playing for first place in the SEC West on November 5th, I think you would have told me to go uh, go get my head examined. Uh, no doubt, Jordy. I, I, last time I saw LSU in person before Saturday, I was there for the Ole Miss game, but before that, last time I covered them in person was the season opener against the at, at the Superdome. Um, and I thought that day, I thought, this looks like a 6-6 six and six team headed to the Birmingham Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the offensive line couldn't block that night uh, in New Orleans. Uh, Jaden Daniels was running for his life. The, the, the team played undisciplined. And you just thought, this is going to take a while. 
uh, for Brian Kelly to get something going here. And then, I mean, I think he's just done a really nice coaching job with this, this team, and we'll see what happens here in the month of, De- of November. A lot will be defined by that. But there's no question this team's made strides. His quarterback's made strides. His offensive line's made strides. Um, I think it's been a really, really nice coaching job here these last uh, several weeks from, from Brian Kelly. There's no denying it. I'm with you. And the development of that quarterback, whether they simplified things or the light bulb came on, whatever, or whoever is doing it needs a pay raise because Jaden Daniels has become not a not a good quarterback, but a really good quarterback that teams are going to have to game plan for like no other. He has, and, you know, I still like him a bit more as a runner than as a passer, but he right. is he, he's become good enough as a passer that he's a, he's a true dual threat. Uh, I mean, what he did with his legs against Ole Miss was, was special, obviously. Yeah. I mean, there were stretches of that game where LSU treated handoffs as if they were a relic not allowed in football anymore. Now, that's not to say they weren't running the ball. They were running the ball. But during uh-huh. the middle portions of that game where LSU really took control second and third quarters, I mean, their running plays were just keeping the ball in Jaden Daniels' hand. Um, he did a really nice job. Uh, I thought he, you know, he made enough plays with, with his arm um, and, and took advantage of, of uh, you know, a suspect Ole Miss secondary that, I mean, he put the, t- the team in position to win. And then how about the defense as well? I mean, they just got yes. shredded that first quarter, and you thought, uh, here we go, Lane Train's going to hang 40-plus. Uh, on LSU, but you know, I thought they tightened up. Uh, it helps them that Zach Evans, the Ole Miss running back, was was hurt and did not play. Uh, but overall, I, I mean, the defense did enough uh, to give to give Jaden Daniels a chance to win that game. And, and like you said, here we go now. Um, you know, November fifth, Alabama at LSU with the SEC West, you know, first place in the West at least on the line. Blake Topmeyer with us. Um... Ole Miss suffers their first loss. Now they go to College Station to take on Texas A&M, who reports are have suspended three freshmen. They've lost three offensive linemen. Brian Harson's hot seat number one. What's going on in Aggieland? And what's the what's what are you hearing about Jimbo Fit? I know it's going to cost a fortune. Are they going to be patient with him? I mean, this is not the season that anyone anticipated for the team that came into the year sixth-ranked in the country. Yeah, I think any patience with Jimbo at this point is tied exclusively to the buyout. And, and I've written this before. Um, anytime we get ourselves into a situation of thinking a buyout is going to protect a coach, we are continually proven wrong. That was You're especially right. the case a couple of years ago with Gus Malzahn when they paid him over $21 million at Auburn. Uh, to fire him on the heels of eight consecutive winning seasons. Now, having said that, Jimbo's, Jimbo's buyout is about four times that of Gus Malzahn's. However, if there is one school huh, that could pour in the money and could pass the hat enough to, to raise the funds to cover a buyout, I mean, Texas A&M is on the short list of schools that could do that. It is an absolute revenue behemoth. It is a fundraising behemoth. Um, the price of gas, as we know in America, is pretty high today. It's a good time to be in a big oil country. That's right. um, I'm not saying Jimbo's in, in trouble here in the next in the next week or so, you know. But I, I think he gets through this season. But that buyout's still going to be huge next year. And if next year's not any different than this year, 
I wouldn't be surprised if that hat starts passing, and I wouldn't be surprised if it starts getting uh, filled up with, with dollar bills because, like I said, every time we think in college sports, oh, they're not going to do this crazy thing uh, financially, they, they end up doing it. And we also know that TV money's coming, um, and that's going to change the game for what schools do for buyouts. You know, I mean, we, it's not like they're going to they're going to, to reapply this this TV money into, into some sort of something meaningful. No, what are they going to do? They're going to pay everybody more, and they're going to cut bigger for severance checks. That's that's part of what this this TV money that's coming around the mm-hmm. corner is going to do. Blake, they just look like they're defeated before they even start. Jimbo looks like he's a. Uh, his biorhythms or whatever you want to call it, it just looked negative. I, I, I don't understand how this thing is spiraled. Um, but boy, another interesting test for them at 630 at Kyle Field against Ole Miss. I don't know where it's going to go, but man, I, I, give me the Rebels, it, man. Give me the it, Rebels. It's a, huge, it's a huge game for Ole Miss, too, because, you know, last week's, last week's loss to LSU changes things for them. Like, I think yeah. we can now say, it's very unlikely Ole Miss is going to, to win the West. They were they were exposed right. uh, in that game. That being said, uh, I don't think it, it's unreasonable to think Ole Miss could win nine or ten games this year. You know, they, they have A and M in front of them. They have uh, Mississippi State in front of them. They have Arkansas in front of them. Point being, you know, yes, these are these are conference games, but it's not exactly a, a who's who of the AP top twenty five. That, right. um, that, that, that they still have to, to play here. Um, they're these swing games, and so I think you know I could see I could see Ole Miss going on four here down the stretch. Um, mm-hmm. They also have a game against Alabama. Um, yep. I could also see them winning three out of their last four though, and going ten and two, and being in contention for a New Year's Six game. So you know this this next month of the season really is is going to tell the tale of Ole Miss season. Is it just kind of a yeah. Ho hum. Okay, they went seven and five, uh, or are they talking about nine or ten wins and, and being in the New Year's Six contention? Uh, real quick, um, Kentucky has to play the game of their life. Is their defense even remotely good enough to slow down Tennessee and Knoxville? They might slow them down just a pause, but we haven't yeah. seen anybody that can slow down Tennessee significantly. And so I think for Kentucky to have to win this game, they're going to have to score in in the forties. At a minimum, Tennessee has to help, uh, and I just don't. Kentucky can't do that. Um, you yeah. know, Tennessee's defense is suspect, but we haven't seen Kentucky score more than twenty-seven points against an SEC opponent this year. So maybe they'll maybe they'll hit thirty against the Vols yeah. because it is, um, you know, a mediocre Tennessee defense. But I think they're going to have to hit forty plus uh, to beat this Tennessee team with the way Tennessee is functioning yeah. right they now. And often. Unless Tennessee does something I, they I haven't done all year it. long and just turn it That's over right. and turn it over and turn it over. Do you give the, do you give the, uh, the Gators a shot at the cocktail party against Georgia? I don't, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to be able to talk my way into that and be, you know, make it compelling, but I don't, uh, you know, I think Billy Napier has got to rebuild on his hands. It, it, this rivalry can define coaching tenures, uh, from Florida, the, the dominance of Georgia is one of the things that helped exalt Steve Spurrier. He went 11 and one against Georgia at Florida. It was remarkable. Georgia dominated that rivalry before Steve yeah. Spurrier got there, um, and then he just bopped the Bulldogs on the nose and locked them in a kennel. And that's one of the things that that really you know helped Steve Spurrier build the reputation he did. One of many, but that was no small part of it. Um, and, and then you know you look at the other side, um, coaches like Will Muschamp and Dan Mullen. Um, part of the reason they were felled at Florida 
uh, was because they, they did not enjoy success in this, this rivalry. So long term, Billy Napier is going to have to land some punches against Georgia, and that's no easy task uh, mm-hmm. with the way Kirby Smart has that program running. But I don't think anybody thinks Billy Napier's Gators can do it this year. It's, um, yeah. He needs at least a, a, a modicum of patience and, and time to get that thing rolling. Now next year, you know, we know honeymoons in college football, especially SEC football this, these days, they don't last long. <laughs> and, and so next year he'll be expected to contend uh, against Georgia, even if that is an almighty chore. Wouldn't this be a great year for the SEC if that playoff had expanded now and there were 12 teams or 16 teams or whatever it's going to be with the way this league is with, with Georgia and Tennessee and Alabama and LSU and Ole Miss, uh, uh, man, even South Carolina's playing good ball. I mean, it would it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? It would. I think we'd be talking about maybe about five teams from the SEC being able to get into a 12-team playoff, yeah. you know, depending on how things shook out. If Ole Miss finished strong, got to nine or ten wins, um, you know, if LSU can kind of keep some momentum rolling, even if, they, if LSU were to lose to Alabama in a tight game, and let's say, uh, you know, LSU went nine and three this season, uh, we could be talking about five SEC playoff teams if it were a 12-team playoff this year. And I don't think that's going to be – um, you know, a rare occasion. I, I think once I we get to 12, I think we're going to be talking about four or five SEC playoff teams um, in most seasons. Um, I think we're going to be talking about multiple teams from the Big Big Ten. I, I mean, you might have a situation, you know, you have, uh, what's it going to be, six auto bids. You might have a situation where, you know, two of those are going to go to the SEC and Big Ten. They've already got two right there. And then there's six at-large up for grabs. You might have years where the Big Ten and SEC combine for five of those six yeah. at-large bids, and so they've got more than 50% uh, of the college football playoff, a 12-team playoff, in which there's six auto bids. More than 50% of it, I think, in a lot of years is going to hail from two conferences. 30 seconds or less. Do you see a scenario, Georgia-Tennessee, all right? So let's say Georgia wins, all right? They get to the SEC championship game. That's the only loss for Tennessee, and it's a close game. Let's say Georgia wins the SEC championship over in Alabama or over in LSU. You see Tennessee sneaking into that uh, Final Four? I do, th- I do think they could backdoor their way in in the scenario you're laying out. I think they need help elsewhere. Uh, they need TCU to lose in the Big 12. Um, yeah. The Big 12 has no undefeated champion. It would help if Clemson lost, but even if Clemson runs the table, uh, you could have the Big 10 champ, you could have Clemson, and you could have uh, Georgia in Tennessee. It would also help if Ohio State uh, just blew the doors off Michigan yeah. uh, in yeah. that rivalry game. So we're not talking yeah. about the same scenario for Michigan that you're laying out for Tennessee. But All yes, right. I, I think that is possible. You need it. You need TCU to the lose. Horn frogs have to get beat. If the Horn Frogs have to get beat. Plain and simple. Okay. That's right. Okay, Blake Topmeyer, USA Today. Uh, covering the SEC, you are the best. What, what, uh, you going to the cocktail party this weekend or are you just going to stay home? Because it's really, I mean, uh, no real yeah, challenging I'm, game. I'm, I'm staying home. I'm staying home, yeah. taking a week off the, the, the road. And, and as you know, I live in Knoxville, so staying home means I'll be covering uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, and then I will be in Athens the following week. Yeah. Uh, that's the plan right now, anyway. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Obviously, there's a big one in Baton Rouge as well. Yeah. So, uh, oh, see, it's a shame CBS both those is games have to be the same, the same date. CBS is wishing they had their doubleheader on November the 5th rather than yeah, what I'm they did I earlier. Be in two places at once there as well on November yeah, 5th. I'm with you. Blake, thank you, man. Have a great week. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. Uh, we'll come back and wrap it all up. 
hour number one, that is, after this time out here on the Jordy Helpert Show. The Karen Crow Cultural District is hosting Crowfest, downtown Karen Crow Fall Festival, this Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. Families are invited to enjoy a safe trick or treating along St. Peter Street, which will be closed to vehicle traffic during the event. There'll be games, a haunted house, a petting zoo, a costume contest for kids, none of you fo- adults, for kids only, and a pumpkin carving contest. Sounds like a whole heck of a lot of fun. This Saturday from 6 to 8, uh, Crow Fest. Um, coming up, hour number two, Bob Rose of the Saints News Network will join us. We'll talk all about the Saints. Can they bounce back against the Raiders? Or only one game out of first in the SEC, in the uh, NFC South. The man, um, Tampa Bay, terrible. Falcons up. Uh, so we'll talk about that much, much more. Uh, hour number two, straight ahead. The Jordy Helpert Show here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. It's hour two of two, and away we go on this Tuesday, October 25th, the year 2022. If you missed anything in the opening hour, we talked a lot of LSU football with Matthew Bruni. We talked all around uh, the SEC and college football with Blake Topmeyer. We've got the Saints uh, black and gold report coming up with Bob Rose. Uh, Tonight, the Pelicans are back in action taking on Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks, and and the Pels are going to be uh, shorthanded. No Brandon Ingram, who is in uh, continues to go through concussion protocols, but in conjunction with that, no Zion Williamson, who's been ruled out for tonight because of a lower back contusion and soreness in his right hip, and Herb Jones is also out. He's trying to work his way back onto the court after suffering that hyperextension of his right knee. So all three players injured during the Pelicans 122-121 loss to the Utah Jazz for the home opener Sunday night in the Smoothie King Center. And they'll have to take on the Mavericks without the three of them. So, um, gosh, I hope this is not a long-standing, long-running thing with the Pels because um, we've seen this before, right? We've seen it before. Meanwhile, the Raging Cajuns back in action on a short turnaround as they take on uh, Southern Miss uh, this Thursday in Hattiesburg. We've got some sound to play for you, compliments of our crack staff, starting with Coach Dez talking about playing Southern Miss on a short week. 
things like this, they're a disadvantage if, if you don't handle them the right way. You know, I mean, if, if you go out there and you handle the turnaround well, it's, it's an advantage. So, you know, we've worked hard on Southern Miss for a while now, um, you know, at various times throughout the year to kind of familiarize ourselves. The kids maybe not as familiar with it, uh, but as a coaching staff, you know, you know that these games are coming. You, you know that you're going to have to turn them around. So, you know, you do a lot of groundwork ahead of time to get ready for it. We are pretty familiar with them just because of, the, of who's on their staff, you know, really. Um, you know, a lot of familiar faces there, uh, guys that we know that we've worked with, know really well personally um, or what have you. But, uh, you know, those things, I mean, they've got the same issues we do. You know, I mean, they've they've got to turn it around in five days. They've, they've got to figure out a game plan in a short amount of time. So, you know. It's, it's all equal here, you know. I mean, there really is no advantage, disadvantage. It's, it's who handles it the best, you know, will you know, we'll inevitably will win the game. You lose a couple of days here. Southern Miss has turned the ball over at a uh, very high level 17 times this season. Um, so, and their, their turnover margin per game is tied for seventh worst nationally. So they turn it all over. Here's Coach Des again. Um, look, his club's riding a two-game winning streak. They're, they're feeling good about themselves. He talked about the emotions behind this game. It's in a primetime nationally television spot against a division foe. You, you can't make it more than it is. You know, the last few weeks we've kind of had some of those things. You know, it's every opportunity to play the game special. All right. These guys work year round, you know, from January when they get back on campus, it is full tilt, full go. And you're only guaranteed 12 opportunities as a team. That's a unique sport. You can't make it more than what it is. It's the most important game of the year for us, certainly, because it's the next one. Um, it's a Western Division game. Um, and it's the one that's coming up in a couple days here. But if you make it more than that, then you start getting into emotional mistakes that those those hurt you. Emotion wears off when you get into the game, okay? You know, you start out and you feel a certain type of way, and once the ball's kicked and it's turned over and you have a couple of possessions, then the momentum in the game starts to take over and you start to feel that. So, you know, for us, it's always about the things that we need to do to win, to win a football game that's very important to us. For us to do what we want to do, we have to win this football game. Our kids know that. Absolutely. Um, boy, he's kind of – got the right demeanor doesn't he He just does and one more um look he talked about how the coaches had prepped for this earlier they're very familiar with the coaching staff maybe the players aren't so in a short turnaround after the big 38 18 win over arkansas state saturday this isn't all about um the physical preparation it's all about the mental preparation and here's coach des talking about prepping for this thursday night game on a very short week uh, for the players, it's the same thing. They've got to go through their whole preparation process in a sped up uh, at a sped up rate. And then when you get to the game, it absolutely comes down to discipline. Uh, you know, you don't have as much time to really get the nuances of what the other team is doing. So these are the games that are really about you. And it's really about your team and your rules and putting them to the test. Uh, it's always about this, but certainly in a short week against a team like this, that's a good football team. You, you got to go out there and play disciplined football. Uh, you, you can't turn the ball over. You got to play complimentary football. Um, you got to make good decisions, and you have to go out there and do things that'll give your team a chance to win. You can't go out there and do things that 
that really give the game away. So uh, this week, that's kind of what we're talking about is the discipline that it takes to turn around these weeks and go out there and go have success. And uh, our guys have had gotten off to a good start yesterday. You know, you got to, <coughs> excuse me, you got to turn the game around from the week before and then you got to move forward to the next one so a little bit of a challenge in that but our kids handle it really well um and you know we're, we're off to a good start and you know today we'll keep it rolling so the as i said the cajuns coming off a big win against arkansas state at home southern miss went to san marcos texas um and boy they they fought back as texas state took the first uh its first lead of the game with a one minute 21 seconds left to play on a 74-yard passing touchdown. Well, um, Southern Miss gets the ball back. Fourth and three, true freshman quarterback Zach Wilkie um, found an open Chandler Pittman who cut across the field for a 53-yard score that gave the Golden Eagles a 20-14 win over the Bobcats of Texas State. Um, the Golden Eagles outgained Texas State 318 yards to 243. The win was the fourth in the last five games for the Golden Eagles, who surpassed their win total from last season in their seventh game of this season. For the Cajuns, well, it's all about Ben Rulridge and his evolvement and his um, production that he's had since he's become the starting quarterback. The Cajuns have won two games in a row. His numbers have been off the charts and uh, Ben Rulridge likes to spread the ball around, and he's happy he's got so many options to throw to. No, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I think I touched on it last week. Our receiver room is deep. We got studs in there. Um, our tight end room is deep. We got awesome tight ends um, right at Y with Johnny, um, H with Neil and Pierce. Um, and it makes us very multiple on offense. We can go 11 personnel and 12 personnel and shoot even some 13 personnel. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I think it's just uh, it's awesome to have weapons like that. And it's just also dudes in the backfield. Um, our running backs do a great job getting out of the backfield and then catching the ball, making plays after they catch it. And also protection. I think to be a college running back, to know your protection rules and to know who you got to block, it's one of the biggest jobs you can have. One of those um, go-to guys that uh, Ben Rollers likes to throw the ball to is Dante Fleming, who had six receptions against Arkansas State for 81 yards and two touchdowns. Dante talked about, man, look, as, as Ben said, that's a, that's a loaded wide receiver room. Practice, very important to get on the field. It was, it was just really practice. Like, I wasn't worrying about if I'm getting the ball. I was just waiting until my time come because I know it was going to come. So I just kept working hard at practice, making things work. I mean, I mean, it's normal. I know I know it was going to happen. I know it was going to get my time. I just had to wait and believe in the coaches, and I know they was going to put me in the right position to help me. So there you go. Um, Southern Miss has a pretty good defense um, uh, that took care of business against Texas State. That is their, that is their mantra, but um, they continue to turn the ball over. Uh, five times in its last two games. Both of them were wins nine times in its last three contests. You t- if they turn the ball over like that against the Raging Cajuns, Cajuns are going to win. There is uh, no question, no doubt about that. So a very important ball game. Both teams coming in um, winning in different ways. 
Southern Miss relying on their defense to keep them in it, as the Cajuns have found a prolific offense. If they could ever get their running game going along with that, then uh, then we're talking business. So um, we shall see. We'll continue our coverage of the Cajuns as they get ready to, to hit the road on a very important night, 6.30 kickoff at Southern Miss in the lovely village of Hattiesburg. Yes, indeed. You know, it's time to cook up some gumbo for a very good cause. The Realtor Association of Acadiana is hosting its annual gumbo cook-off at Park International on Wednesday, October 26th from 5 to 7 o'clock. The family-friendly event features a Halloween costume contest, music by the Rouge Crew, and of course, and of course, great gumbo from 26 teams of area realtors. That's a lot of gumbo. They're competing to earn the title of the very best gumbo in town. Tickets cost $10, can be purchased with cash only at the event. So all proceeds benefit three local charities, Maddie's Footprints, Habitat for Humanity, and Lane's Legacy. So come out, eat some gumbo, help out local charities, and have some Halloween fun with the Realtor Association of Acadiana's annual gumbo cook-off on Wednesday. We'll take a time out here when we return the Black and Gold Report. Seems like forever since the Saints played, right? And and good. Are they getting healthy? Um, are they getting ready? Because the, the Raiders are coming into the Superdome. Bob Rose, Saints News Network. We got a lot of NFL stuff to talk about next here on the Jordy Helpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers. And starting Friday, your World Series Houston Astros. We'll be right back. It's time for Jordy to march into some New Orleans Saints talk with Saints News Network's Bob Rose. Here is the Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Seems like forever since the Saints played and the way they've been playing, that's a good thing. Didn't have to watch that misery on a Sunday. We did it on a Thursday. But Bob joins us uh, for his weekly Tuesday segments, and we greatly appreciate it. Bob, oh, my gosh, everything I'm hearing is we got to get our swagger back. Well, how the heck do you get your swagger back, Bob Rose? Jordy, and good afternoon to you, my friend. Thank uh, you. Hey, Jordy, forget swagger. Let's just win a darn game. Um <laughs> Yeah, Dennis Allen gave the players a weekend off, uh, which drew the ire of some Saints fans. Uh, but let, you know, let's face reality, Saints fans, we needed the weekend off, too. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, sometimes you do that with players. Uh, you know, sometimes you do need to take a step back uh, you know, as individuals, kind of regather your thoughts, reprioritize yourself. Uh, you know, hopefully get healthy and then come back to work strong. Uh, you know, there's no reason to go into you know, the old school two a days and throw pads right. back on them in the middle of the season. Right. Uh, you know, it, you know, if, if these guys are physically ready to play, I'm not worried about that. It, you know, it's mentally right now for them. Uh, you know, and you know, it, when, when you're lacking mental 
uh, capacities in a game, it affects your physical performance. So, yeah, I'm hoping that the strategy pays off. Obviously, we all are. Uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully within a few extra days off, the Saints will get some, some of these injured players back, too. That's going to be key to watch this week. You know, these are professional athletes, and so I hold the coaching staff accountable because how, how do you focus during practice? How do you execute in practice? That's how you're going to execute and play in the game 99% of the time. So I, I, I got to point my finger if I have to at a coaching staff. Maybe, maybe they're not um, as observant and holding players as accountable as they should. Hey, Jordy, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, and you know, let's start with accountability. Uh, you know, first of all, folks that are criticizing Dennis Allen and the offensive staff, you're right to criticize them, in my opinion, anyway. And I, you know, I, I've, I've certainly done the same. Uh, but I don't think you're pointing the, the criti criticizing finger at the right aspect. Uh, the, the players are the ones responsible for the execution on the field. That's true. Uh, the players are responsible for the missed tackling the play. And like you said, Jordy, the, these are professionals. You shouldn't need a coach to motivate true. you at this level, true. but your assessment is a hundred percent accurate because you practice, you play how you practice and how are these guys practicing? I remember you and I talking in training camp and we both commented on how, you know, Dennis Allen's training camp practices didn't feel nearly as intense as Sean Payton's. Right. Uh, you, know, you know, we wondered, is that because of a veteran team? Uh, you know, is that because Allen's trying to put his own personal stamp on it? Uh, you know, whatever the case was, you know, we would see how that, played out in the result to start the season <laughs> well it hasn't played out well so yeah i i know i not only think that the players need to refocus themselves but the coaches do too bob rose saints news network well said sir um saints scored some points but this defense has become a sieve and i can't i can't put my finger on it um i guess i thought certain players were maybe better than they are um, what, uh, what's your assessment there? What's wrong with a team now that's two and five on the defensive side it's it, it's lack of effort in my opinion. Okay. Uh, yeah. And yeah, lack of effort is putting these players in poor positions. Uh, yeah. When they're coming up to tackle things like that. Yeah. I, I think we're also seeing how important a guy like Marshawn Lattimore is yeah. to this defense. Uh, yeah, but you, it's still shocking to see such a total unit collapse with the absence of one player. Uh, and that's what's been so disappointing. You know, Demario Davis, Pete Werner, they're playing out of their minds right now. Uh, you know, and I can't fault them. But you know, you're getting no consistent production from either the interior or the edge up front. Uh, you know, the, the safety play has been absolutely abysmal. Uh, yeah. you know, and it's starting with Tyron Matthew, yeah. but he's not solely responsible for all this. Uh, you know, Paulson Adebo has been up and down, you know, clearly still dealing with that ankle injury. Uh, you know, Bradley Roby has been up and down and now he's hurt. Uh, I, I was impressed with the play of young Elante Taylor uh, on Thursday Me night. Me too. Uh, but yeah, you know, outside of that, these guys, uh, and, and, and again, you, you start with the coaching. 
Uh, yeah, because it's something wrong with the scheme. Yeah, if the scheme isn't working, you change the scheme. And these are three great defensive minds that the Saints have on their coaching staff. I don't think anybody can dispute that. Uh, yeah, but whatever they're doing isn't working. Yes, if yeah, the players need to win those one-on-one battles, the players are the ones that need to uh, to make the tackles. Uh, but it also looks like opposing offenses have the Saints' defense figured out before they even snap the football. That's what's been concerning to me. My bros, Saints do that work. Offensively, the Saints average 142 yards on the ground, 256 through the air. The problem is a league-worst 16 turnovers, seven fumbles, nine interceptions. Case closed. Yeah, you're not going to win games if you, know, if you do that. Uh, you know, and while the offensive turnovers are not responsible for the defensive failings, uh, yeah, that 31st ranking of points against uh, you know, for the Saints, yeah. Uh, yeah, the offense is partially responsible for that. I mean, you've had four turnovers taken back directly for touchdowns yes. and several other turnovers setting the opponent up in prime field position. Now, I am impressed with the way the Saints have taken care of the ball a little bit outside of the, Dalton's two interceptions last week. Uh, they've taken care of the ball a little bit better. They're cutting down on the penalties, uh, and you're starting to see this offensive talent emerge. So it may, I think the Saints offense is trending in the right direction, far more so than the New Orleans defense. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you know, I, and we say this every week, football 101, you take care of the football. Yeah. You don't give the other, uh, you know, the other team easy scoring chances, uh, and you take advantage of the opportunities that you yourself have in, as an offense. If you're going to commit 16 turnovers and give the other team the ball that many times, you better take it away that many times or more. The problem is the Saints have only forced five turnovers, one interception, and four fumble recoveries. You know, I'm, I'm not maybe not the smartest uh, math tool in the shed, but 16 to five, that's, uh, that's a minus 11. That's not good. That's not good. No, it's not, and it's why this, you know, the Saints, if they had a first-round draft choice, uh, you would have the the sixth overall draft choice in the 2023 NFL draft if the season were to end today. You do not win games with a minus 10, yeah. minus 11 turnover rate. Uh, you know, and, and and again, I blame both units. The offense obviously has to take care of the ball, uh, but the defense. The defense needs to cause more turnovers. We yeah. have seen that. Yeah, we've seen this unit cause turnovers in bunches through through 2017 through through last season, uh, and it just hasn't happened this year. Uh, and a you know, poor play in the secondary. Uh, you know, is attributive to the uh, only one interception, uh, poor, inconsistent pass rush up front. Uh, you know, if you're not winning battles at the line of scrimmage, the opponent uh, is going to run all over you. The The quarterback is going to get time to throw, beat your coverage, and you're not going to force fumbles. Did I hear you say the Saints would currently be the have the sixth pick in the first round of the NFL draft if things ended today? Yes, that sir, correct? that is correct. So with that sixth pick overall, do the Saints go draft a quarterback? Uh, you no, know, because remember, they gave it to the Philadelphia Eagles last year, Jordy. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> so the Philadelphia Eagles might draft a quarterback uh, and kind of dangle them in front of New Orleans. So, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. And I, I think that's where a lot of the fans ire is coming from right now. Uh, you know, is it is one thing if the bottom were to drop out of the season. And I don't think it has yet. It is spiraling. Uh, but it's not dropped out. Uh, you know, it's the fact that if the Saints, if the Saints hit rock bottom, uh, you know, there, there's no light at the end of the tunnel coming from the draft. Who is the quarterback? Who is? Is it? 
is Jameis Winston going to be healthy enough to play? And, and and if so, what what do we anticipate from? Oh my gosh, we all said, boy, don't take Drew Brees for granted. Well, <laughs> here we are. Uh, yeah, and a lot of people are wishing they had old number nine back in that huddle for sure. Yeah. Um, if I'm Dennis Allen, and, and health is everything at this point. Uh, yeah, if Jameis Winston is healthy enough, and he's not going to be anywhere close to 100%. He has a bad back. Right. Um, but if he's healthy enough to make the throws that you need him to make, uh, I think you start Jameis Winston. And he seems to be trending in that right direction right. as far as getting back on the field because he dressed as an emergency quarterback the previous two weeks, and now they have an extra four days before playing the Raiders. Uh, and the reason I, I, the reason I start Jameis Winston is this. The statistics are very similar between Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. I don't think anybody would dispute the fact that Jameis Winston has a far more explosive upside. Uh, You're two and five if you're the New Orleans Saints right now. The quarterback position is not the root of your problems and it's not your number one problem. Uh, But it's a major question mark going forward beyond the 2022 season. Andy Dalton's 35. will be 35 years old this weekend. He's not the he's not the answer for no. 2023 and beyond. No. Jameis Winston is 20, 28 or 29. He might still be. I don't think he is. Uh, yeah, and you know, the early results are showing that. But you have to find out if he is or not, because quarterback is such a major question uh, you know, for a lot of teams throughout the league, not to mention the Saints. If you have the answer already on your roster, then that solves a big, big problem going into the offseason. That's why I start Jameis Winston. And I agree with you. I hate to say this, but you mentioned he's up, you know, look, and quarterbacks we can see are playing well well into their mid to late 30s, some even mm-hmm. 40s. But Jameis Winston's shown a propensity of getting hurt. And Lately, yeah. as you get older, that, that doesn't go away. So that alarms me as well. Now it would help if Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry were back. If if Andrus Pete was back, if Andrew Adam Troutman was back, that would certainly help. Just on the offensive side, uh, yeah, it absolutely would. And yeah, I, I published an article. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Might have been the day before. Uh, yeah, and it was a roundtable article. All of us at the Saints News Network gave our own opinions on who we would start. Uh, you know, this Sunday, if we mm-hmm. were Dennis Allen, uh, the consensus was Jameis Winston, uh, you know, with the caveat being health. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I noticed something when I was putting the, the statistics for the article together. Uh, yeah, the, the play calling has been far different. P. Carmichael's play calling has been far different with Jameis Winston than it was with Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton, of course, works the defense far better sideline to sideline. Jameis, as you and I already mentioned, is far more explosive down the field. Uh Andy Dalton has benefited from a far more productive rushing game, running game, than what Jameis Winston had. Mm-hmm. Andy Dalton has had far better pass protection than what Jameis Winston had. Now, contrastly, Jameis Winston was getting a far better defensive performance than Andy Dalton is. Uh, yeah, this defense is putting the Saints in position to, to have to win shootouts uh, to come out with a W, and this team is not equipped for that. Uh, you know, so, and again, if you break it down, statistic, their individual statistics are, are very similar, but the two of them have quarterback vastly contrasting teams so yeah and it goes back to what you said last week when we talked is this Saints team needs to establish an identity we're starting to see that take the forefront a more physical offense uh yeah with that's multifaceted but the defense has to come together for that to work in any any way shape or form uh 
my outstanding producer, James Mesh, said that Jameis is 28. He turns 29 January the 6th. I'm convinced more so than ever in my life, if you don't have a mobile quarterback, you're not going to win in this league. Look, look. Look at uh, the Buccaneers. Look at Green Bay. Um, look last night what Chicago did yep. to New England. You better have a quarterback that can move around and pick up some yards with his legs, and we don't have one of those. Except his name is Taysom Hill, but he doesn't throw it. Yeah, you're, and you're exactly right. And it's it's the nature of the beast of the NFL today. Uh, you know, the the secondary cornerbacks, especially, are at such a disadvantage because of the rules and the way the game is officiated. Yes. Uh, yeah. That if defenses have any hope of beating another team or being successful, uh, you know, it's by loading that box and just going full bore after a quarterback. Uh, you know, and you know, a a, a non mobile a Brady, a Rodgers, a Breeze. Uh, you know, they could get rid of the ball quickly, but that's only going to take you so far. Uh, you know, you need to uh, have a guy that's going to escape that pass rush by yourself a couple, uh, you know, an extra second, yep. second and a half. Uh, and that makes all the difference in the world if you're going to attack down the field. All right, we'll take a quick time out here. When we return to the Black and Roll uh, Gold Report, Bob Rose will give us his top five NFL teams as we speak today, and would he rather be the coach of the Green Bay Packers or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? What in the world has happened to those two teams and those two quarterbacks when we return here? The Jordy Helpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series bound Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. We are back as uh, Bob Rose, a captive uh, prisoner here on the uh, on the Journey Helpers <laughs> Show, segment number two of the Black and Gold Report. And, uh, boy, we talk about quarterbacks, Bob, and you got an Aaron Rodgers struggling. You got a Tom Brady struggling. You got Matt Ryan being benched by the Indianapolis Colts. You got Jones of the New York Giants playing out of this world. Don't tell me coaching doesn't matter. And it looked like uh, Mr. Fields from the Chicago Bears looked like the light went on for him. So with that being said, um, man, who who would you rather be in charge of? The Green Bay Packers with what looks like a very disgruntled, I don't want to be their quarterback, or a team in the NFC South in Tampa Bay with a with a quarterback who's leaving to go to a wedding, missing meetings and Looks like he doesn't care, and he looks like the, he he would rather be anywhere else but on a football field. Yeah, he sure does. Uh, but to answer your question, there's no question. Uh, you know, my my answer would be I'd rather be the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But it doesn't have any uh, anything to do with football reasons. I, I, I if my team's going to stink, I'd mu- yeah, I'd much rather be in Florida than you know, than, than up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, but I, you know, I also think Tampa Bay has the better roster than what Green Bay does. Um, but you're right. You know, it, but both of these teams, uh, you know, they they look in absolute disarray on both sides of the football right now. Uh, you know, and that's trickling that's trickling upward through the coaching staff and into the front office. Uh, and I actually believe that Green Bay's coach, uh, you know, could be on the hot seat. I think uh, so. Yeah, uh, because you know th- this team has had you know what three straight playoff misses, uh, you know, playoff choke jobs. <coughs> Excuse me, and. Now it's funny I did that after as soon as I said choke it wasn't intentional. <laughs> yeah, that was um, very good. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and that yeah now you have Rodgers who you know, it, it, 
he doesn't he clearly doesn't want to be there by his actions by his statements uh yeah i think the guy the coaching staff in green bay is in real trouble don't you have to blame the front office we said going into the season what their problems were going to be and that's exactly what their problems are and now it's only being multiplied by other things it's just the whole thing i'm i'm stunned by it at green bay to be honest with you yeah i am too and i think you do blame the front office and i don't think enough fans of respective teams around the league they put too much blame on the coaches and not enough blame on the front office now you're right you know and you and i believe so strongly the coaching makes so is so much difference uh but the personnel on the the personnel that's given to these coaches uh more often than not the coaches only have a percentage of the say so unless you're sean payton andy Reid, bill belichick you know these guys were were czars uh in charge of complete charge of the Mm -hmm. product on the field uh, you know, they, they met most of these other coaches throughout the league, uh, and I certainly believe this is the case with Todd Bowles, considering this is his first year with Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, you it, you have to coach what you're given. So, yeah, I think the front office is not held nearly accountable enough. For so many years, we called it the NFC least, but the NFC East is the strength of the NFC with the Eagles at six and zero, oh, the Giants at six and one, the Cowboys at five and two. Man, you pick between the NFC West and the NFC South as to the biggest disappointments. My God, the Rams are three and three. The 49ers are three and four. Um, And in the South, I mean, if you're three and four, you're at the top of the leaderboard, which the Falcons and the Bucks are. And the Saints, as bad as they are, just one game out of first. Crazy. Yep, don't push that panic button yet, Houdat Nation. Uh, you know the, the the Saints are not out of it by any stretch. Uh, you know their chances, any realistic chances for a wild card are quickly flying out the window. Uh, but yeah, a, a seven and eight. Uh, let me do redo my math. Uh, an eight and nine record uh, could easily take Win. this NFC South. Yeah, uh, uh, wow. and yeah, it, it, it's starting to shape up that way for the NFC West too. Uh, listen, I put the NFC South as my biggest disappointment. I put the NFC West as my biggest surprise because Seattle is leading that and you and I both thought Seattle would be near the bottom of the league at least San Francisco and the Rams and for that matter even the Cardinals they've shown signs of life we've seen very little signs of life out of any of these NFC South teams I mean who'd have thunk that uh, Carolina would handle Tampa Bay like they didn't who would have thunk that the Bears would have done what they did last. It's a crazy, crazy year. With that all being said, Bob Rose's top five NFL teams today, which could change next week and will be different than it was a week ago. So what do you think? My number five team is the New York Giants. Uh, and you know, they, they'd be high. They're my most impressive team so far. Uh, you know, other than you know, who's going to be my number one. I just think they're getting fantastic coaching, and that's actually overcoming some of their personnel shortcomings. Uh, you know, I still don't believe that they or the Jets, who just missed my top five, I still don't believe that either New York team has lasting power uh, right. you know, where they're legitimate championship contenders, but I'm so impressed by what they're both doing so yeah. far. Yeah. Number four is the Minnesota Vikings. And Six I put them and just five and one. The, okay. Yeah. Put them just ahead of the Giants because the Giants are pulling out all these close games. Uh, you know, and uh, even though New York has played a more challenging schedule on paper, uh, you know, I still feel like Minnesota is a house of cards whenever you have Joe, uh, Kirk Cousins, a quarterback, uh, and a young defense. Uh, but right now, Minnesota is just you know, they're outplaying uh, you know, so many of the teams that they're coming up against. 
My top three is easy, and I think they should be everybody's top three. Uh, uh, number three is Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they're they're the class of the AFC right now. Uh, you know, outside of you know the the num- my number two team, which is the Buffalo Bills. These two teams are heads and shoulders above everybody else in the conference. I think Cincinnati is going to make a run they're at them. Coming, they're yeah, coming. They, they yep. are kind. You just they have a feel to them right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Kansas City number three, Buffalo number two. Uh, my number one team. I don't see how anybody could disagree with this. The Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Jalen Hurts has shown so much improvement as a passer. We know this team can run the ball better than any team in the National Football League. And defensively, they're causing turnovers and they're just beating the heck out of the out of teams. Uh, you know, Philadelphia is a legitimate Super Bowl championship contender at this stage of the season. Who the thunk it? Who the thunk it? Um, interesting week eight. Uh, the uh, Ravens at the Buccaneers Thursday night. Boy, we sure want uh, Lamar Jackson to go crazy. Uh, the Panthers are at the Falcons. Uh, and, of course, you know, the most important thing is the Raiders at the Saints. So that's 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 pivotal. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Buccaneers fall down flat on their face again. I like Atlanta to beat Carolina, don't you? Yeah, I do too. Uh, yeah, I think Atlanta's playing a real physical brand of football. Uh, you know, I, their their offensive play calling is head scratching to me. The usage of their players on offense is head scratching, uh, but yeah, you know, they're they're winning battles. Uh, up front on both offense and defense. Uh, you know, Carolina has that terrific defense. I love their defense, uh, but they just, they're, they're a bad football team. Uh, you know, Carolina is going to end up with a top three draft pick. I like Atlanta here too. Um, Aaron Rodgers back to the Packers said, yeah, this week might be exactly the medicine we need because nobody's expecting us to win when they go to Buffalo for Sunday night. And I think that was a subliminal message. Him saying, "Yeah, this is going to be good for us because maybe they'll go out and get us some new players and uh, get us a wide receiver or something." But man, how would you like to be the Packers having to take on the Bills up in Buffalo? My goodness, you want to talk about with a team with their back against the wall and the bear coming straight at them with claws bearing? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Buffalo won this game by three touchdowns. They should on paper. Uh, but yeah, it, I found Aaron Rodgers' comments uh, that you're alluding to very interesting because you're talking about a guy, uh, you know, an, a, a, an attention grabber uh, you know, that's taking subliminal shots at his front office, at his coaches, at his teammates yeah. every single week. And now all of a sudden he's going to be positive. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see what, you know, how Green Bay plays. Uh, and this, is, this could be a turning point for the Packers season. Yeah, I talk about the Packers wanting some players. Are we at the point where the Saints might be dabbling? The, the you know we're two and five, okay? We got some good pieces around that maybe some other teams that are um, thinking that they are a piece away from being a Super Bowl contender might want. Do you think the Saints at the deadline, uh, which is about a week away, um, Saints might be in a dealing mode? Jordy, I think it's possible. Uh, and you know, about an hour or so ago, I just released a piece uh, you know, to talk about that a little bit. Make no mistake, they're not going to have a mini fire sale like the Panthers are doing. Uh, and you know, the, the Saints are not going to trade. Ignore the rumors. The Saints are not going to look to trade away a Cam and Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore. You know, players, players that are still in their prime uh, that are under contracts for multiple years. But what the Saints could do 
is try to you know, dangle a guy who may not be in their future plans, a guy whose contracts might be expiring, that they could get back some of that draft capital that they do not currently have. A player like Jarvis Landry, one of the safeties, May and Matthew, might be appealing to a contender. Uh, you know, What about an interior guy like David Onyemata? Or a guy at the top of my dangle list is Marcus Davenport. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that Davenport has played poorly. His statistical production isn't there, but he still played fairly well. Davenport's a free agent at the end of the year. The Saints aren't going to be able to afford to re-sign him unless they cut you know, cut ties with Cam and a bunch of other guys uh, mm-hmm. to free up that money. Uh, pass rushers are at such a premium uh, that I could see a team offering the Saints maybe even as high as a second-round pick to get Davenport over there out of New Orleans. And that doesn't mean that New Orleans has given up on the season, folks. This is still a position of depth. For the Saints, uh, yeah, Davenport, yeah, would be a big loss, but you still have Cam Passanio. You can bring, you know, promote Taco Charlton from the practice squad. Granderson, they still have some. It's not Davenport talent, but it's still they are still good players if they choose to deal away Davenport. What about a guy like tight end Nick Vanette? Uh, he never plays. Maybe maybe somebody likes him or finds. Maybe you can get a third, fourth round or something like that. I don't know, but he never plays, so why keep him? Uh, well, yeah, and I think with a guy like Vanette, uh, you know, he, he'd add depth, uh, you know, to to a team's tight end core. Uh, you know, he's a veteran. Uh, it's it's been around the block. Uh, I think a third round pick is probably a pipe dream, Jordy. But even yeah. if you could, if you could get a, a early to mid day three pick for yeah. you know one you know, a, a Vanette or one of those other guys, Mickey Loomis has you know managed to swirl that into higher picks, packaging the uh, lower picks to get get a player that they want. Uh, you know any thing that they could do to recoup that draft value without waving the white flag on the season. Peyton Turner, is there enough uh, tape on him? I mean, he's a first round pick in 2021. He's always hurt. Hadn't done a darn thing. Maybe somebody liked him. Maybe. Well, Peyton Turner is a guy, you know, first round pick, like you said, he's on a rookie contract. Uh, you know, so a team, if the team trades for him, they're not going to have to worry about salary cap issues or contractual issues with this guy. Uh, if they have Peyton Turner, if they had Peyton Turner graded highly coming out of college, like the Saints did, that's where I could see a team saying, you know, New Orleans, we'll give you a fourth, a conditional fourth round pick for Peyton Turner. Uh, but if it's a contender uh, that's calling Mickey Loomis, they're going to want uh, a Marcus Davenport or a David Onyemata. Bob Rose, Saints News Network. Um, it didn't look good, but apparently the NFL is saying that the post-game interaction between two game officials and Tampa Bay Bucks receiver Mike Evans did not involve a request for an autograph. What the heck was it? What What, what do you think they were doing? Yeah, I don't know, man. But if you're if you're the NFL officials or even Roger Goodell, yeah, that that's like having a flashing sign over the gunman on the grassy knoll, isn't it? <laughs> yes. yes. Maybe they were saying, "Look, sign this. I've got a, uh, I've got a, um, a fundraiser uh, for a charitable event, and we need your autograph." But who wants Mike Evans' autograph? What, what, what good is he? Well, yeah, I certainly don't. And yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, we, you know, we make fun of it, and it, it, it isn't a good look. But it was probably something very, very innocent like that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm going to continue to poke fun at it because the who, NFL is just too easy to make fun of. Who the thunk we're talking poor play from? From Aaron Rodgers, from the goat, 
Matt Ryan. It's crazy. It's crazy. Bob Rose, thank you so much. More than you know. Thank you so much. My pleasure, my friend. Enjoy your day. Uh, enjoy your week, and we'll talk soon. You got it. Bob Rose of the Saints News Network. Tune in next week to the Jordy Holtberg Show for the Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, the uh, finishing touches to this Tuesday edition of the Jordy Helper Show. Special thanks to our guest, Matthew Bruni, talking about the Tigers. And Blake Topmeyer from the USA Today Network talking all things SEC football. Bob Rose of the Saints News Network with the New Orleans Saints and the latest around the NFL. Um, if today is your birthday, October 25th, Happy birthday from all of us to all of you. Um, Bobby Knight, the general, uh, former coach at Indiana and um, where he made his mark, right? A couple of national championships, beat the LSU Tigers in the final four in Philadelphia. Never forget that one. Uh, Bobby Knight turns 82 today from the miracle on ice. Mike Ruzioni is uh, 68 years old today. Unbelievable. Where were you for that one? And uh, Pat Swilling. Uh, it was born back in 1964. Of course, we all know about Pat Swilling, the ex-great uh, Dome Patroller. Um, tomorrow on the program, we will uh, have Hump Day with Huguenin. We'll get you up close and personal with the uh, Southern Miss Golden Eagles. We'll recap the Pels. Can, they, can the Pels hang with um, Luca and the Mavericks without Brandon Ingram, without Zion Williamson, and without their best defender in Herb Jones, we shall see. You play the game, and that's, uh, that's what we'll find out and see. So we'll do all of that and much, much more. So, um, again, that's why you play the game. We're getting closer and closer to the World Series as well. Really, man, I... Trying to get tickets, guys. I'm trying to get tickets. Anybody got two tickets Saturday or Sunday? Let me know. Hook me up. Hook me up. Um, yes. And also, um, birthday today is uh, Katy Perry is 29. And, of course, that's James Mesh's secret crush. He won't ever tell us that, but that's his secret crush. All right. Um, that's all the time we have for you today, boys and girls. So we thank you for joining us here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Um, and uh, we certainly hope you come back tomorrow, same time, 2 to 4. You can listen to us on the radio. You can listen to us on the internet. You can listen to us on the television set. We can do it all for you and yours. So until next time, I'm Jordy Helpert. Stay Thirsty, my friends, by all means, gosh, the most important, stay healthy, take care of yourself, uh, be kind to one another, and let's be happy. So long, everybody. <laughs>